It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the official tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader Kamal Murray. Welcome to the tennis.com podcast. I'm your host Kamal Murray. And before we jump to this week's guest, world-renowned coach Casey Curtis, who helped raise and produce Milos Ronic. We got to talk about the passing of tennis icon, tennis legend, a tennis dad, coach, mentor, motivator, uh, and inventor, quite frankly, Nick Bolletieri. Nick Bolletieri passed away this week, and we've seen the outpouring of the tennis community, and I just want to share some personal stories. I can think back to the time where I was trying to build excess tennis in Chicago, and it was questioning, people were questioning whether or not uh, this sort of academy model can exist uh, where we put it. Uh, whether there was a sustainable model. I called Nick and I said, Nick, I don't think that they understand what I'm trying to do. He said, say less. Uncle Nicky's on the way, baby. And within a week, he was on an airplane, flying to Chicago. We met with the mayor. We met with president of universities. We met with donors and helped them understand how excess tennis could be what it is today and how Bolletary Academy, which is now known as IMG, became worth $2 billion. Um, you would be laying down or you'd be at a tournament and you'd be thinking about what to do and how to help your player for the next round. All of a sudden you get a call out the blue from Nick. He knew when to call. He knew when you were in need. He always had a kind word or a piece of advice. Even for the best coaches in the world, he says, let me tell you something. Let me give you a piece of advice. Uh, he was never short on that. And I think the industry for a long time has caused him one of the best salesmen in the game. But when you think about what he did, always sold you on you. He made you believe that you could do anything and that you were the best. And I think that was one of his greatest gifts. Self-admittedly, probably not the best technician in the world, but man, he could stand behind you and make you believe that you were gonna make it, make you feel good about what you were doing and inspire you to work hard. And so we owe him a great debt of gratitude. He elevated the game. He contributed so much to the marketing of the game, the personalities in the game, and made this whole super coaching thing, this coach promotion, uh, scholarshiping of good players. You know, he invented that whole situation. And so I want to say thank you for your time here. Thank you for everything you've done for me. And we prayers up for his family. And now we'll talk to our guests. Casey Curtis, uh, a super coach in his own right, credited for the early success of Milos Ronis, was a coach of Milos's from the age of eight all the way to 17. Big believer in the power of the kick serve and how we should be using kick serves and spin serves more often. An architect to many well-known tennis players on the pro tour as well as in college. Take a listen to Casey Curtis. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamala Murray, and we are here with one of the guys that we should mention when we think about, you know, obviously 
Rest in peace to Nick Bolteri, the passing of an iconic figure in the sport, one of the best coaches of all time. We think about Rick Macy. Uh, we think about Nick Saviano. And we got to start to talk about Casey Curtis. Casey Curtis, um, California boy, owned a club in Toronto. Lots of Canadian, famous Canadians we'll get into. They came out of that club uh, in Richmond Hill. And now it's set up shop in Florida, borrowing a few courts where Macy is. So uh, we're going to get to know Casey today. Casey, thank you for coming to the show. Hey, it's good to be with you, Kamal. Thanks for having me. So you're most famous for being the guy that developed Milos Ronich. Tell me about, obviously, how you made the move from being American and then moving to Toronto, owning a club, et cetera. Yeah, well, uh, I've been up in Canada quite a while, probably a total of about 40 years. So uh, Milos, Milos came to me when he was about eight years old. Um, I, I guess I had a bit of a reputation of working with some, some good players and national champions and, and that type. So uh, I guess his parents did, did their research and, and wanted, uh, wanted to come and see me. So they, he walked through the door about, about eight years old with this big old tennis bag that was much bigger than he was and um, said he wanted to get really serious and wanted to play at least twice a week. So obviously that's going to bring a smile to a high-performance type coach. But um, so uh, had my... One of my assistants was hitting with him, just just kind of warming up a little bit, and he was he was really just a beginner. Um, I think he played a total of about two weeks at, at that point. So <laughs> uh, I had some pretty good players. I didn't really have anyone at that age or that that level, beginner level. So I said, look, I said I'll, I'll coach you privately, um, maybe once once a week, twice a week, but uh, you're going to have to come out and work really hard and and uh, maybe hit the ball machine, do a lot of reps and. Uh, and he did that. And uh, within about three, four months, the guy was improving like crazy. So I started to put him on the sort of the, the lower court of, of my group and, uh, and he worked his way up. Now, the first time I met Milos, I noticed two things. Number one, his like legs and his torso <laughs> are disproportionate. That's number one. That's right. Number two, his hair was always perfect. I mean, come out the locker room, walk him to the practice court, like he'd be in a locker room, combing it, moosing it. I was like, what is it? I mean, he's about to go out here in 95 degrees and sweat, but first you got to make sure his hair is perfect. Was Milos always sort of this big figure, even at eight? Because, you know, at eight, you know, I look at kids, I'm like, oh, he's got size on him. I can take that and teach him how to hit a tennis ball. What was he like at eight years old and what was special? Well, you can see the, the, the racket speed right off the bat. You know, I mean, even at eight, eight, eight nine years old, you're going to start to see that the, the guy can generate some pretty serious racket speed. He was a really good kid, uh, funny, good sense of humor, intelligent, um, and maybe a little bit lazy in the beginning. He, uh, I think even Mueller said himself, you know, he would just stand there and the ball machine would pump the ball right to him and he wouldn't move his feet. He'd just kind of swing the racket, hit the ball. But, you know, he started to have some fun. Obviously, he's a good athlete and, and, uh, Started to make some shots. Started to see, hey, you know, this is, this is kind of fun. I can do this. And uh, and then once he once he joined the group, he was like a little brother. Everybody uh, everybody really liked the kid. And, and uh, you know, just a really he was a good kid. He was a very thoughtful kid when he was younger. So yeah, very good. So you know, Milos to me is probably. I mean, I think those on tour know he's probably going to be one of the best servers of all time. But when you think about 
people who we consider big servants. Number one, I think John Isner, right? And I think just the, the masses think John Isner. Uh, they think Ivo Karlovich. Um, are you the one responsible for sort of putting together this rock? When I look at Milos's serve, it's like sort of unconventional. Like I think if I had a big player, I would tell him keep everything high, right? And you see Milos being this big figure and he takes everything low, right? With this low rock. Is that your architecture? Yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, that it's, I pretty much teach most, almost all my students really to serve the same way. It just worked really, really well for me, uh, you know, for my players. So, uh, you know, you don't, you don't give up on something that's working well. And <laughs> we kind of knew Milos was going to be tall. You look at all the, the, the men in his family, his brother, his dad, and everybody else. So we, we pretty much knew he was going to be tall. I've always been really big on the serve. You never really understand everybody going, oh, yeah, this is the most important shot in the game. And they put like 10, 15 minutes into it, you know, a day. So uh, we spend an hour a day on that serve every single morning. And, uh, you know, just mostly working on a big believer in the rhythm. Um, I think you should be able to shut your eyes, close your eyes and hit your serve. Uh, basically, the top is going to be in the same place every time, same height, same spot. So you should be able to shut your eyes and serve. And uh, pretty sure Milos can do that. Um, and just a lot of target practice. We worked a lot on, on target. I'm also really big on, on the, the Tostin serve. Uh, I agree with Pete Sampras when he said, you know, he didn't really care that much about the first serve. Everybody's got a really great first serve. All the players have a good first serve. It's all about that second. Totally agree. So we spend a lot of time on, on the second serve. So tell me the logic. So, you know, it's, 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 I love to get coaches on the podcast because we can sort of go back and forth and like get into the mechanics where, you know, we're commentating, we're talking about what's actually happening. Where, where does the idea to start low come from, right? And have the low rock when you've got to get up, you know, you got to get up to a high toss and got to get up to the ball so you can sort of have a good contact point. Where does the idea to start low and go high from versus to start a little more neutral and then explode up? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really big on, on the low start. That's probably something maybe he kind of added in a little bit, but uh -huh. uh, I do like to see the racket come up to to eye level around eye level because I'm a I'm a big believer in letting gravity help you out with the motion in, in the beginning there. Uh, I really believe if if you time the motion right the way the way I coach it with, with coming back and then forward, the the arm will pretty much levitate up. You really don't have to use much arm strength to bring the arm up, which allows that arm to stay very very relaxed and, and live. You know maybe similar to a baseball pitcher, um, which Milos obviously has. So he has a very, you know, I love hearing announcers say, well, it's effortless, and, you know, just easy, easy power and all that type of thing, because that's what I used to sit there and, and say to him every morning when he was practicing. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not really big on necessarily starting down low, but, uh, you know, if he does that a little bit, obviously a player is going to add a little bit of something that they feel comfortable with, and that's what he's done. So let's go back to the second serve. So obviously coaching on tour, right? And you think, you know, one of the things that I encourage a player to do is have an honest conversation with himself, right? If it's five all deuce, semis, quarters of a slam, don't be a hero. If you got to kick the second, if kick the first serve in as a second and do a serve plus one, then that's great. You know, if you don't feel brave enough to go for the big serve. Tell me about why you're such a big fan of second, because I know like in this game, like you said, everybody's got a first serve. Sometimes nice high kick wide to the backhand, right out the strike zone, gives you a short ball. 
which is probably more makeable. I mean, for people other than Milos, right? More makeable uh, on a, as a one-two combination than it is as just a you know 126 mile hour first serve. Tell me where you're, how you see the second serve fitting into the game, is particularly in the men's game. Yeah, well, when we talk second serve, we're pretty much talking top spinner kick, right? So um, it's not so much that that I wanted to see it on a first serve, even in a tight situation necessarily, maybe, but it's more just I want the player to have complete confidence in that second, in that top spin serve. I want them to know that that they they might even have a good enough second serve to keep the odds fairly high, if not high, but, you know, maybe 55% or something in their favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily want to see the, the, you know, for a long time, Milos, in my opinion, was uh, was putting too much spin, too much arc on his, on his second, on his top spin. And uh, and actually, he was in the 40s. He was in the, the high 40s on, on his win percentage on second serve, which is crazy. And uh, I like to see a player in general serve close to 85% uh, on their top spin of their flat. So let's, let's say you just had a hundred mile an hour flat. I want your top or your top spin or your kick in 85. And the same with the slice. So, uh, you know, you see a lot of guys, most of the top guys, that's what you're going to see, right? If you watch Ben or Joe Fisher, those guys, they're, they're usually within 50% on their, on their, their top spin serves. Milos, believe me, Milos can hit 118, 122 on, on seconds on top spin serves. And he actually did that the year he got to the final Wimbledon. In three of his matches, I think there were five setters, three of them, he averaged 120, 121 on seconds, was winning 74% of his points on seconds, and averaged less than one double fault per set. I'll take it. I'll take it all day. Right, all day. You know, so, you know, what would you rather return, a flat at 120 or, or a kick at 120? Right. You know, he's kicking them at 120. Right. So... Uh, I just, I, that's what I've, I've always wanted him to do that. He, he tends to hit his top spin serve down around 110, 108, maybe even lower sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would prefer to see him serving faster than that. But just in general, come on, I, I, I like to see the confidence in the second. I think it, it just opens up the, the you're going to relax more on your first, you're going to relax more on the return game. Uh, it's just, it's part of the, you know, the mental game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you taught a lot in a neighborhood of Richmond Hill, which is is in Toronto and has some pretty good players come through. We talk about Daniel Nestor, Peter Polanski, Dennis Shapovalov, Shapo. Tell me about that group, right? Because I think that what we're seeing right now with Italy and all the players coming out of Italy, Canada had like a boom years ago. I mean, you got Bouchard, Andrescu, Leila Fernandez, you know, all of these guys, like at one point, just like, boom right how did that happen right and how did those guys all kind of grow up in that same neighborhood was it um was there a leader was it a fluency you know because you see i always tell people individuals get good in tennis but groups get great and when you see like americans like a tommy paul or francis or taylor frit like you see groups get great you're seeing the italians now have a group of guys that are getting great 
and you saw that with Canada. So what what was going on in that sort of time period where all these players got good at the same time? Yeah, well, if, if you notice, there are a lot of European names in that crowd, um, and, and to be honest, they, they in general have a very good work ethic. Okay. Uh, pretty good work ethic. They also like sports a little bit more than, you know, Canadians love their hockey, for sure. Right. Americans love every sport. You right. Know? Um, so, uh, but a lot of it had to do, I believe, in the beginning with, with the fact that these, uh, these players, their families, they came from Europe and they have a, a really good work ethic. But there's been a real transformation in the uh, coaching in Canada. It's really improved from when I first went up there uh, mid late late seventies um, to now, the coaching has really really improved. And uh, you know, obviously Daniel was there as a as a doubles player, the best in the world for a while, and doubles for quite a while. And so he showed everybody we can do it in dubs, but nobody had really led the way in singles. And, um, you know, Milos Milos did it, and he showed everybody, hey guys, you know we can do this, we can do it right here. Um, because we trained in Canada, we didn't. You know, we weren't training in Florida. We were, we were training in Toronto. We were, uh, believe it or not, uh, at Blackmore. The the uh, the guy who owned it would would let Milos and I would come in at 6 a.m. But uh, he said, you know, you guys can can use the the court. We'll turn on the lights, but I'm not turning the heat on till 7 a.m. <laughs> so I'm not kidding, man. We're we're in there, and you know, I've got gloves on sometimes, and Milos is sitting there hitting serves and. Um, but you know, so he he showed that it can be done, and then you, just like Sweden, did, you know, when Bjorn uh, came through, and all of a sudden Sweden just rocked it with with a bunch of players, you know, four or five guys in the top ten, all of a sudden, four minute mile, right? Boom, everybody all of a sudden four minutes. So um, I think, like you said, groups when people see that it's being done, and then uh, you start to get the rivalry going. You know, we had Vasek Kostasov, Milos and I always knew we're good friends with with uh, Vasek and his father, and they came up together and, you know, we would meet in Florida with the Eddie Hare and the Orange Bowl and sit up. Uh, his father's name is also Milos. We sit up and talk about how one day these guys are going to play David stuff together. And unfortunately, Milos wasn't there the other day, but the guys got it done. And I think that did a great job. And stuff. So just uh, just believing that it can be done. And, uh, and Canada definitely believes. Tennis Canada definitely played a role. They, they got a bigger budget. They were able to finance some of the traveling and, um, for sure, that definitely played a role. Now, how did you fly? Because I'm I, obviously I coach in Chicago. It's a cold weather climate, and you're always sort of I don't want to say fighting, but there's always like a tug of war with the player that gets good, start to play some ITFs, and thinks that they need to move to Florida. How did you all fight that to kind of keep players in Richmond Hill, right in Canada, uh, and fight the flight to Florida? Uh, I think, you know, with it's a great question. It was, with Milos, I, I was bringing guys in, you know, really, when, let's say when he's 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, I was bringing some top, some good pros in to play against him. So, but later on, maybe five, six years later, we had a pretty good group of players up there. So you didn't really have to travel and the weather's not as good. Right. Um, I've always said every time I come to Florida, it's just so much more conducive to high performance training is just a lot easier but that may not may not always be good you know sometimes not bad to have a little adversity a little toughness but i think we just all of a sudden we had uh 
enough players up there so you've not just had good coaching but you also had uh, the competition which is very very necessary so i think in the old days maybe we would have had to come to florida to get the competition you know maybe set up shop at, at one of the top academies here so you and then you have both your coaching and your your competition but we we, we got the competition going up there so i think that's the answer to that one so when you think about COVID, um you know i think COVID affected Canadian tennis a lot. I mean, we even, uh, you know, we even leased a Canadian sanction, uh, a WTA sanction that belonged to Tennis Canada in 2021 and had it in Chicago, right? Just for getting re-entry, athletes to get the re-entry into the country, et cetera. And as a result of COVID, you actually started migrating to Florida. Tell me about that shift. Is it the indoor factor? kind of force you to go somewhere where you could play outdoors so you could keep working, keep training, keep coaching. Yeah. I mean, they, they were, they were stop and go so much, you know, we, okay, now we can play and now we can't. And there were all kind of rules when you went inside and you, know, you had to keep stay apart and uh, you couldn't have more than, than two people on a court. So it, it kind of became really you just couldn't do it. So, you know, it's a fairly easy trip to come down to Florida uh, again, obviously, great environment. Uh, you've got the tournaments. I mean, the, the tournaments that Rick has going to his place, those Battle of Bocas every single weekend, and some of those uh, PTT tournaments are just fantastic. So there's, there's good players walking all over the place, lots of competition. Uh, you can't necessarily get that in, in Toronto. but And also, you know, with the COVID thing, it's great to be much better to be outside. You know, kind of be separated, and rather than indoors with with air being pumped through the yeah, different fan systems and things like that. So we there there were times where these tournaments down here looked like they were up in Ontario. There were so many Canadians. I mean, there was a Canadian invasion going on. So yeah, there's no question that COVID opened a lot of people's eyes, and I, I suspect you're going to see probably quite a few Canadians come down here permanently. So who's coming up next? Because um, you know, you start to look at Milos is getting up there in age, Nestor, Peter Polanski, who's very famous for his lucky loser. I think he got like five lucky losers in the Grand Slams. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, uh, Felix, we haven't mentioned Felix yet, right? So when you see that type of success, you see a next wave, right? We see like, you know, what Venus Serena Sloan did for a player like Coco Golf. Right by her having a relationship with them as a kid, who's coming up next? That's Canadian. That perhaps you know is playing Eddie Her Orange Bowl uh, Junior Slam that we may not know that the world may not know about yet. Yeah, well, on the guy side, um, I'm not so sure. I'm I'm overly excited uh, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the girls' side, we have a, a couple of of young ladies. They're uh, Victoria Mboko is a fantastic player. Um, she's 16 years old. I think she's already won a 25K. Um, very, very good player. Uh, Kayla Cross, another good player. Um, they I think they made, might have made the finals of, uh, of Junior Wimbledon and Dubs, I think. Um, but uh, so she's another good player. Marina uh, Stakuzic. We, we have, I th- I'd say, about four or five girls um, that are in between. 16 and 18 that, that could could make some ways they could do some things mm-hmm. um not so much on the guy side at the moment I'd, l- I'd love to be surprised on the upside but yeah yeah now i find it hard like in the u.s in terms of like men's tennis right i've always found 
that for girls, tennis is the best sport in America. Like it's year round, you get to see people's faces. Um, it's the number one revenue sport for women, right? Globally. Um, but for men, we've got American football, basketball, baseball, so many other sports where you can get guaranteed money and in no offense to any of those sports, might be a tad bit easier to make it than tennis. I mean, I think making it in tennis as a man is like really tough. So in Canada, do you all have the same tug of war between tennis and hockey? Will you lose the better athletes to hockey? Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, I didn't really notice any kind of a change from, from when I've been up there. Uh, tennis, I would say, is growing in Canada because of the success. But uh, in terms of there being a lot of competition between hockey and tennis, I, I don't sense that so much. I think the guys that are going into tennis, I don't think necessarily would be going to hockey. Uh, of course, there's guys doing the hockey that, that may have considered tennis if they didn't have it. But uh, obviously, hockey is still Canada's sport, and, you know, the biggest sport up there. So, uh, and on the girls' side, not so much. Maybe swimming a little bit. Mm-hmm. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you set up shop uh, at Rick Macy's place, right? And I always find it refreshing when I see coaches sort of being, you know, less competitive. Like one of the things I loved about Boletari, what he was, I mean, obviously he was a giant in the game, but he was never sort of overly and unnecessarily competitive with anybody else. I think he understood that tennis has so much room to grow and there were enough kids and opportunity out there. And as the, you know, the tide raises, the tide rises uh, and raises all boats. How would how do you plan to exist with Macy? Macy's obviously this largest in life figure in tennis. Uh, now you guys are kind of cohabitating. How's that working out um, so far? Uh, it's worked out great, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think Rick feels the same way. You know, we uh, we we joke from time to time as we, we pass. I'm at one end of the, of the facility, and Rick's on the other end. Um, <laughs> I've got my my three courts down on one side, and. It's beautiful because, you know, it's, it's quiet. It's, it's kind of reserved back there and I, I can do my thing. And, uh, don't, don't get any interference really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't think Rick's worried about uh, competition. Um, he's doing just fine. Thank you very much. And, right, right. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I think he also realizes that I'm just kind of doing my thing. I've, I've got players that I brought with me from Canada. I've had a couple more that have joined us from, from the States. Uh, which is great, uh, but you know, there's, there's no, there really isn't much of a competition going on. So, there's are you here to stay? <laughs> I know, right? Are you here to stay, or are you going back? Oh, I'm staying, buddy. Yeah, I'm, you guys are stuck with me. Right. I'm staying. So, how do how do people find you? Right. Be, um, how can people get involved in your program? Are you accepting more clients? Is this a 
you know, kind of an American Canadian Academy, right? Like a shelter for Canadians in America. How are you positioning yourself and how can more people come and sort of tap into the expertise? Uh, well, they can I have a website, uh, curtisstatus.com. They can go on that. Uh, we do a little bit of Instagram, not, not too much, but um, they can certainly contact me through that website. Um, always interested in, in hearing from people. And, you know, from time to time, I will take on new students. But uh, I don't want to, I don't really want to get, you know, too big. I'm not trying to grow a big academy. I, I, I like to stick to sort of five, six players. And that's it. Right now, it's just myself. So uh, I will have an assistant coming down to join me later on, uh, maybe by the summer next year. And maybe at that point, when I take on a few students. But, um, but yeah, for sure. Always, always happy to hear from people. As you know, uh, I just had a couple players take off and, and start to play tournaments. One of them just got their first ATP point the other day. So uh, he's off and running. And, um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, as you know, I mean, you have sometimes players come and go and uh, you can always, always have a look at anybody. Now, let me ask you this, because, you know, obviously raising up a player like Milos, right? Um, you look up and you find yourself traveling 20, 30 weeks a year. Right. And you look at like a lot of your life has just sort of a been dedicated to this player, but B, you know, has sort of gone by. Right. As you were sort of chasing this. When did you stop coming off the road? I mean, we've seen, you know, obviously Milos have a, a number of coaches and, you know, go through some several, several changes. But when did you come off the road and how do you feel about traveling now? Like I know for me, you know, I got five kids that are five and seven. Right. And so I would never travel 38 weeks like I did in 2018. I would never right. be able to do that again. Um, right. uh, but you know, you still want to sort of pop out there every now and then yep. to sort of stay current yep. um, and keep it fresh because I see, I feel like the slams are our convention. You know, you look at like um, conventions in different industries. When you go to slam, it is like a convention where the best coaches and the best players and the best technology. So how do you, Tell me about that tug of war with the days you were traveling with me, Lotion, pouring into him, and then where you stand now as it was trying. Because it's hard to raise a kid from ITF to Junior Slam to pro without sort of packing that suitcase again. Yeah, so uh, I didn't. I wasn't actually working with Milos after he was like 17, 18. That's when he started to. I mean, he. Uh, I was still his his personal coach when he got his first point. Yeah. Um, but he was still going back and forth between the juniors. So I did travel with him uh, to Europe and you know, to the ITF and France and so forth, but um, not so much on, on the pro tour. So I, I kind of feel like you do. I have a daughter, but she's, she's playing tennis and she started very late, but now she's caught the bug. She's 19. So, you know, she's doing, she's doing her thing and she's doing great. So we'll see what happens there. But I don't really want to go out on the road a lot. My, my assistant is very good. He was one of my students. Very good player, and uh, he's 25, so uh, he has no issues going out and traveling with the players. It's great because you know, we've got a built-in hitting partner, and so if I'm not there, he'll be there. Sometimes we'll be there together, but in general, I don't really want to travel a whole lot. Uh, I will travel some. Mm -hmm. Well, man, we look forward to it, man. I, you've been very generous with your time. Um, you know, I'd heard your name on the circuit as like sort of this guru up in Canada that helped produce all these players sort of an architect right and i think in our business right you've got teachers and you got coaches and you've been one of the most respected sort of teachers right in the game for 
being a being willing to take on new player, young player, get on your hands and knees and set up the strokes and the foundation, right? And just have that result in a player like Milos, who will be a Hall of Famer, who will, you know, go down in history as one of the best servers in the game. I wanted to just sort of, you know, give you some kudos. Uh, as a fellow coach, uh, I appreciate, you know, the work you do, the humility it requires and the sacrifice. So, man, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, and man, if, if you're in Florida, I mean, please go visit Casey. Um, because, you know, it's, technicians are hard to come by. We just lost uh, a great coach in Nick Voluntary. And so, you know, people who are in needing for some inspiration, some technical help, man, please go visit Casey Curtis. Thanks so much. Great kind of you. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Okay, come on. Thank you.